impact, income, and influence. It's the three things that are most important to entrepreneurs today, and that's what this podcast is all about. If you're a coach, consultant, author, blogger, YouTuber, creator, or entrepreneur who believes what they do can change the world, this podcast is dedicated to you. I'm Steve Werner, and welcome to Impact, Income, and Influence. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show for monetization strategy, helping you live your dreams on the internet. My name is Steve Warner. I am your host, and today I am joined by Jeff Venn. Jeff, welcome to the show, man. I'm glad to be here, Steve. Can't wait awesome. to get into it. Awesome. So Jeff actually started web design way back in 2005. He got sick of designing websites, imagine that, and figured out how to fire himself so that he could go on and mentor millennials and help them leave the nine to five grind. Jeff, tell us how this started for you. Yes, yeah, so it's, a, it's a pretty cool story. And I think a lot of people were late. If you're like me, you perhaps get into the university or, or college or get, get a degree going and some specialization and quickly you go out into the quote unquote real world, you follow the scripts your parents gave you, perhaps your grandparents, your friends are doing it. And I did that. I, I was successful. I did a computer science degree. I minor in graphic design. I'm a musician. So I love all this creativity. And with computer science at the time in the early 2000s, I was able to get a really good job making great money right out of school. And so I went to a 2000 person municipality here where I live in Jacksonville, Florida, Jacksonville Beach and uh, 2000 people on this like water, wastewater electric, 200 person IT shop. And it went really well. And I quickly kind of rose to the top there, uh, actually ended up being an interim director before I left. So there was about seven of us on the leadership team, but I found the drive from Jacksonville Beach into downtown Jacksonville and the fact that you couldn't be there later than nine. And at that time there was no work from home. It just got really stifling. And I remember having this moment about six years in. So I'm kind of into my mid late twenties at that time. I'm making great money. I'm pretty much about to get this director position that I've been serving. And I, I looked across the table and I, I saw a guy and he was quite a few years, my senior great guy. And I was like, man, this guy makes like $10,000 more than me. I'm going to have to sit around this place. There's a pension at the time for, you know, what, 25 more years. And I just had this moment and this old like bureaucratic, these classic tables, old building where I was just done. And um, at that time in 2005, web designs were really starting to come into vogue. They weren't commoditized like they were today. And so, you know, I came up with this little plan to work 15 hours a week. And I think I was doing websites for like two, three, $6,000. And at that time, my overhead was low. I had a wife, like one kid. And uh, once I got the finances in a certain place after working six to eight months, I pulled the ripcord on really good terms there. So I always knew I had a little fallback and I, I went out on my own. And that, that was a huge plunge in the start of a, quite an incredible ride that you know began in 2005. And at the time of this recording, we're here 15 years later, almost to the T. That's, I mean, that's awesome. I know that is everyone's dream. Like people sit, they've read the four hour work week or they've read, you know, some kind of book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And they're like, I need to do my own business. I need to get out there and I need to do this. They've, they've had that feeling sitting across the boardroom, like looking at the guy that's been there his whole life and makes almost, you know, even if they make a hundred K more, you're like, is that really where I want my life to be? Right. You're shaking your head. So yeah, precisely. 
so you went out on your own. First off, you were married at the time, right? Mm-hmm. How, what was your wife's feeling to that? Because I know there are people listening who are like, I'm not supported by my parents. I'm not supported by my wife. How do I even start that conversation? I've got bills to pay. Yeah. So uh, my now ex, we have a great relationship. We, we were married 17 years, but at the time, gosh, we were, we were three years into marriage, just had a kid. My mom was like freaking out. My mom's cool. So everybody's cool in my family. Like I can have conversation with them, but everybody's like, why do you want to leave this place? You got a freaking pension. There's no more pensions. You're going to retire at 53 with 80% of your salary for life. And they're like, what are you doing? But I just had this burning itch to have control over my time and energy. We had a little bit of savings, maybe like $15,000. So that was probably like two and a half months of bills. And fortunately, um, my wife at the time was really supportive. She was an artist. She was a homemaker, right? So when the baby came, she stopped teaching. And that was a year before I went out on my own. So it was a big risk, but we had two and a half months savings. I'd actually worked for about six months. So I had a little bit of a book of business and I'll get into cash flow in a minute because man, go to try to collect the money. That was another story when I launched out in fall. And then uh, I did have a safety net. I left on really good terms there. But if you're highly qualified in the workplace, in this case, I think I was like, what, 28? I know I could get a job anywhere if I fell on my face. So it was risky, but I calculated those risks. And and my wife was open-minded enough at the time to, to go for it. And plus, I mean, what people say is pretty irritating and they can only give their opinions on their viewpoint anyway. So I did take that into account, but they were living those lives where they're like getting the Sunday scaries or like, only got five years left or doing the same thing day in and day out every day. So when their opinions came across the table, yeah, I did weight them. Like I value and I honor my parents and they were actually ultimately supportive. My mom was like, what are you doing? But ultimately it worked out, but yeah, had it, you have to cross a lot of resistance there, but doesn't any great thing in life, any major weight loss, any like uh, new skill you're going to learn, learning an instrument, learning another language, we do hit these walls of resistance. And that separates those of us, you know, if you're like me that will actually get it done from those of us who are just, dreaming and getting worried about work Sunday at three o'clock and, you know, eating some Fritos and watching a Netflix show. hundred percent, man, that, um, you're, you're preaching to the choir. The, um, I mean, my mom, when I went out on my own, I've gone, I've had two businesses in my life. Um, uh, at both times she was like, Oh my goodness. And the, the answer for me was those conversations were just kind of out of bounds because she knew that it was, I knew that it was just going to stress her out a whole bunch. And I knew, most of all, I wasn't going to get positive feedback. I think what you touched on was you stayed around people. You you did not have conversations with people who were not supportive of you. You can have your opinion. That's fine. I don't want it unless you're going to help me, which was your wife mostly supporting you. And you guys went out and launched. So tell me a little bit about how that went. I mean, it was way back in 2005. So there wasn't nearly the social media or any of that stuff. But I mean, just talk to me about like, what was that first six months like in business? You remember? Yeah. So I, I think I need, I'm just going to give round numbers at a time, but it just helps me tell the story more clearly. So I think I needed about four or $5,000 a month to live. And so I had stacked up, you know, a couple two gram websites. I think I landed an eight gram website. And of course you don't get all the money at once. So, you know, you, you launch an eight grand site, you get $2,000 down payment. So you have this beautiful cash flow plan and I had that little $15,000 nut in there, which I didn't want to spend obviously. And God, as you know, in any kind of project, especially a website or like trying to get content from, you know, a client on social media or some website company, uh, copy, those uh, payments fell by the wayside. So 
quickly I found myself in a place where like uh, drumming up business was super important because I had like October, November to mid-December, like all in lockdown. But guess what? No one was finishing their projects. Ultimately, they didn't. But, you know, a couple of deliverables from the client slip in October, you know, miss a new account sign up. So to be honest with you, the first uh, three or four months, yeah, it was really scary as it should have been. And then as I went into the next part of the year, which was 2006, um, yeah, you do have moments when you're starting out because I did have a kid at home and I did have a wife who was a homemaker. You really got to put that bread on the table. And so I really started learning quickly about cash flow, about always staying on sales. And then, of course, I, I never really had a problem getting the work done. But yeah, you realize that a, a lot's not handed to you. So yeah, it was the first year was kind of make or break and pretty scary, to be honest with you. What um, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, I'm either in that position or I'm going to do it. What is like one key takeaway? I mean, you hit on several things, staying on top of sales, getting the work done. But like so many people get waylaid by I need to do all this stuff over here or they've got 15 different things going on. What's like one thing that you would tell people to focus on in that first couple months? Yeah, so when I went out on my own, I was I was I was a coder. I, I'd been in, so I had some management and coding experience, so I knew how to deal with projects really well. But to me, the obvious part of any business is getting the product out the door. If we were selling shoes, it's very obvious we need shoes in these sizes. We need them all all these stores. So I think a lot of people will let clients completely run them over. Um, they won't have their time and energy respected. So like payments and tussles and all that will get in the way and. When you get really bogged down too much in the work, like you got to do the work, but at some point, some hours a week, you got to do billing. You got to make your contracts better. And no matter what business you're in, even if you're in a recurring business, because we are right now about 60% of our revenue in our digital marketing agency is recurring, but the customers don't stay around forever. And every now and then, especially in the beginning, you pick bad customers. So you might, might get this big project that almost kills you to death. So I, I would say keeping that bigger picture in mind and making sure overall you're, you're moving everything forward versus thinking about two clients out of your 10 and letting the week get ruined. So once again, there's a, a block of time, say 20, 25 hours a week where you can heads down and grind and you know act like you're the employee, but you really do, even if it's three, four, five hours a week, even if it's Sunday afternoon for a couple hours, you need to think big picture. You need to cash flow forecast. You need to uh, listen to what your clients are saying or look at your crappy cash flow and realize you didn't collect money ahead of time and make those constant little tweaks because while that work is not urgent, it's super important for the future success of your business. So if all you do is have 10 clients, let two ruin your life, let two be really easy and just focus on that. Like as soon as those pass through or consume your time, like you'll wake up and it'll be the holidays and nothing's closing or, you know, things will be shifting in the market and you won't be aware. So I think you have to be open-minded, right? You have to listen to a podcast like this, anything to keep your motivation level up, any kind of networking. When you're really down, there's that person that's, you know, having success or is a few farther steps ahead of you. That's one of the things I do now is help others and be like, hey man, you got this because truth be told, everything in life is seasonal. And I'll end with this. Um, it's called cash flow, right? So when the bank account balance used to get really low, I'd just be like, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm never going to make it. This one deal didn't close. This one went behind and it's these tight few weeks, but it's cash flow. And if you notice your bank account's never the same every day. So realizing that things truly are temporary and if you can get through that, then and you can keep like working on the bigger picture stuff. Ultimately, you can't not succeed if you have half a brain. You really can do it. That's awesome, and I agree. Um, to be to be very honest, when my bank account 
gets down, that's usually when I have my best ideas because I start thinking, right? It causes us to be creative when everything is cushy and everything is, you know, easy peasy. Like we don't, when you're not under stress, you don't grow. I mean, what, what causes muscles to grow when you lift, when you do heavy workouts, Mm -hmm. right? And you need the same thing in your business, like challenges, create opportunities, create the cash flow. So actually, I want to touch on one other thing that you said, like, what, what do you do when a client doesn't pay when they're not giving you the deliverables? So then they're like, Oh, we're going to push that $2,000 payment off because this is a question I get quite a bit. Yeah, so I have some very emphatic advice. And the advice I'm about to give is correct, right? So it's not my idea, it's not my thing, it just is the way it is. So let's just take a website. Let's just say this website costs $10,000 or any kind of consulting agreement. I don't care if you're doing someone's accounting, if you're gonna go take pretty pictures of some family all over town, you have to get most of the money ahead of time. So before you get in that car, before you load up your camera gear, before we even do the project kickoff call, now we get 50% of the money. And guess what? No one ever bulks. So 50% they're out of the gate. And then we hit the next milestone, which in the case of say this $10,000 website, it started. We have $5,000 in the bank. We have a signed agreement and, and permission to charge your credit card. So the 5,000 is in the bank. We do the kickoff call and design. Kickoff and design doesn't eat up that many hours, right? So as soon as the design's approved, we get 25%. So by the time the design's approved, we have 75% of the money. And that's when on a website project, after the design approved, you really do invest the time and the coding and getting it all really working. So no matter what business you're in, you need to get that money up front. And as you pass milestones, before the milestones start, you need to get that money. I find that when you have a simple, respectable contract and you respect your time and energy and someone else's time and energy, like everybody always pays all the time. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel guilty about charging or they'll charge once they have the 22 photos edited. And that's BS. That's not how business works. It's not how the cell phone company charges us. It's not how any kind of other engagement charges us. So is young entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs. Yeah, you need that contract, get that money ahead of time. And you might be like, oh, well, some people won't like it. No, pretty much everybody does it. And the people that don't do it, they're going to hassle you for your money regardless of anything. So it's nice to know that in the beginning, when you have an agreement, you're like, hey, the website's going to be 10,000. Here's the payment terms. And they freak out then. They're probably not the right client for you. So it's that simple, to be honest with you. And we've done that over the last few years. And we don't, we really don't have cash flow problems at all. That's, that's awesome. I mean, that the number one thing that you said in there is if they're giving you a hard time over giving you 50% down and then paying on milestones, they're not your client. They're not going to be a good client. If they're giving you a pain in the ass over something as little as paying up front, think about how hard it's going to be to work with them. And the last thing you want is a pain in the ass client. You don't want a client that's just going to drag you down all the time. Truth. 100%. Um, so, okay. You have the agency. You're up and running. You're doing good. At what point were you like, okay, I need to step back from this. I need to put this on autopilot a little bit. I need to start doing something else. Cause this is a conversation that we had that I thought was genius. Cause you don't look stressed at all. You look like you enjoy your life. You look like you get to do a lot of good things. You were telling me you went to Burning Man. So how do you run a multiple six figure agency and enjoy life? Because I know a lot of people are like, oh man, that must be really stressful. Yeah. So what I've done, so let's, let's go back to where life is today. Cause I'm 15 years in, it's pretty optimized. I have some experience under my belt, but I just talked about 2005 to like 2007. Well, I did everything. I was a coder. 
I had a minor in graphic design. I obviously can talk and communicate like doing sales. So I was literally doing everything. And if you really ask me what I've done with Create Studios, our digital agency, it's just to fire myself. So a lot of things just, I just, I was good at them. I was a good coder, but guess what? Coding a website at the time using Dreamweaver, Steve, uh, took about 30 hours. Well, I only, I never worked more than 40 hours a week. I just don't like websites and online marketing or anything that much to do it 40 hours a week. So I would always work, you know, 35 to 40 hours a week and a website would take 30 hours. And at that time, outsourcing was kind of in vogue. Uh, India was a common place to go. So yeah, that, I, I just looked at, at what was just draining me and causing me to like barely get the sales meetings. Well, actually I always got the sales meetings, but barely get to some small deliverables that I could like bump a few times. And it was the 30 hours of website coding. So if we look in our businesses, if you're like me and you look in your businesses, there's just something that's eating up an inordinate amount of time. You're probably a master of it. And there's always that chicken and egg to where like, hey man, I got a dollar coming in and I need 90 cents of it and 10 cents is left over. But at some point you gotta be like, I'm gonna take 80 cents now and put this 20 cents to this person in hopes of growing. Because if you don't and you're an owner operator, all you really have is your own job. You really don't have a business that's gonna ever run without you. So I, not even systematically, just via pain, right? Said, I don't wanna, I have three website projects. That's 90 hours. I have a bunch of sales opportunities. I have these networking meetings early in the morning. I got a little support work, some social media. So I was like, I don't have 90 hours in the next month to get it done. So uh, through trial and tribulation, I got a coder. And then a lot of times, and I'll end with this, you know, account managers are expensive, but as soon as you can hire junior Steve or little Jeff or little Jane, you're in good shape because you can self-replicate. You know how you are. You know how you think. That's your culture. You have enough hustle to get it done. So you need to find that junior person. And if they're somewhat decent at managing, granted, it does cost you money. So your, your income is going to take a hit, but that's really the key. Uh, getting those account managers in place, getting those people that can talk to the customers. So all I've really done over the last 15 years is, is fire myself. And, it, you know, we're approaching 20, the year 2021 soon. I'm moving my title to founder. And founder means that I work with my leadership team and like customers and projects don't touch me at all, which is uh, pretty cool, which is, has freed me from my business. That's a great place to be. I mean, you get to live in your creative zone of genius. Everybody always says, do what you love, do what you're passionate about. But when you start a business, you're doing everything. You're passionate about the big picture of it, but you're doing, you're mopping the floors. You're, you're cleaning the proverbial toilets. Um, you're doing the stuff that you don't want to do. So the one thing that I hear, because I recommend a, a lot of my clients that I do consulting with, I recommend do a time study, right? Take two days, write down everything that you do, how long you spend on it. And then what so like what really sucked for you? What was the painful thing? And the answer that I always get from people is like, it'll be something, right? It's usually doing like the tactical. Um, if it's a Facebook ads agency. It's building the ads or doing the research or coding. But they're, the answer that everybody always pushes back, and I'd love to hear what you would say to this, is, well, I'm the only one who can do it that well. I need to be there for quality control. How did you hand off coding? How did you handle that? Because it did, did it cause anxiety for you? Let's start with that. Yeah, it did. But everything causes anxiety. Even working at that corporate job, you know, you're listening right now that's killing you. So like, like accidents, problems, uh, bad economy, good economy, those are macro things that are always going to affect us. So I like to, you know, take a different take on pain. But ultimately, it's this. I just treated myself as a client. So let's just say I have this $10,000 website project. There's 30 hours of coding. 
all of a sudden I'm the client. So if I told the client I get it done by Friday and it's a new team, well, I'm going to have the coder show it to me Tuesday and it's my first time working with them and they're a piece of crap or I take a little baby project. I outsource that baby project. I make sure people follow up. There's a bajillion people that can take photos, make social media badges, all this stuff, but there's very few people who will actually follow up when they said, even if it's like, hey man, I promised you this at 10 tomorrow. I know you don't have the meeting until the following day. Can I get it to you at three? Like that's acceptable to me. So starting with a baby project, you act as a client, build in some buffers and don't really focus so much on the person's skill set. Like how many logo designers are out there right now in every continent? So it's not about finding a logo designer that can produce a good logo. It's one that can, can communicate well. So I always focus on people who have good follow-up. I was really on them at first. And then I do some little baby test product projects and uh, our designer has been with us since 2011. So nine years later, and he's actually in Brazil. The coding and designing we've kept overseas, but here we do a lot of the face-to-face -face work. So yeah, just act like you're the customer, literally building a little buffer. And then when they fail, they're failing with you. And that's really on you for maybe not hiring the best person. So over time you get a little better at hiring and that's the secret sauce there. I love it. And you do get a little bit better. I think one of the things that I tell people, a lot of people is don't hire somebody that you like, hire somebody that it has integrity, that does what they say they're going to do. If you give them a deadline and they hit that deadline, I, I hire a lot of people overseas and they, I, what I do is I give them a past project that's already completed, but I give them the start point for it and I see how they would do with it. It's kind of the same thing. It's a test project, but it's, I already know what the outcome is, but here, do this. And if they did it better than our team did, or they did this like something super creative, I'm looking to see if they hit their timeline and if they did a good job and it, like test projects, I would rather pay a couple hundred bucks for a test project than hire somebody on that. I liked that interviewed well, that did, said all the right things. Right. But then does a horrible job, which we've all done that. For sure. Another thing is this, um, you know, professional development, coaching this, that, and other. I finally started doing that hardcore and paying for it because it, it always feels expensive. Like even three or $500 a month can feel super expensive and programs can, for a small business owner, can easily get into the low thousands per month, if not more. But just having somewhere, someone that's unbiased, it's almost like a business psychologist, essentially, that's really invaluable too. Because it, 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 Steve, I know you've experienced this and I, I have a lot of painful stories, but it gets pretty lonely when you're all virtual, you're sitting in an office, you're getting you nagged on by these two clients, you, you can't get this one to pay, you had a big sale fall through, and then you're expected to like be all chipper and like, you know, outsource your coding. So you know, having any kind of system of like gold setting or follow up and a, and a coach there is very helpful. And that's actually what I'm moving into now is to help the younger Jeff, you know, get through some of those hurdles quicker. But until the person realizes that, hey, you know, they actually do want to hire a little help or, hey, they do want to think big picture, you know, until you get past that, that, that phase, there's not much for you. You're going to kind of be capping your growth out. That's. That is a good point. Um, I'm a big believer in business coaches, masterminds. Um, I think that you should pay for it. I know there's a lot of people who are like, I can get that help for free or I can meet with these people. If you pay for it, you pay attention. Um, I My business started taking off when I started paying for, I was in a paid mastermind. I paid a business coach. Um, and that's the conversation I have with clients too, because that's mainly what I do is I help businesses grow. Um but just you, having... gotta, you can't get that stuff free. Heck, I've even missed paid meetings before in my junior years because I had really serious deliverables and I'd move them. But yeah, so I totally agree with you on paying. And if there's there's coaches at all kind of payments and any kind of person looking you in the eyes every week, even asking how did you do on the stuff you told me is going to help 
you know, a tremendous amount. Absolutely. So take me through the process. You started firing yourself and you got to the point where you're, you're moving into that founder role where deliverables aren't even going to touch you. You might have to do a quality check once in a while, but really it's about building leadership in your people that you've hired, building out the organization. And now you're moving in towards mentoring millennials specifically, which I think is awesome because millennials get such a bad rap, but there, there are, every generation has had people who didn't work. Let's, let's be real honest and upfront about that. Millennials, there are ones out there who, you know, for whatever reason, they like living in their mom's basement. But there are also a lot of millennials out there who are on fire and moving forward. So talk to me a little bit about how this all came about. Yeah, so let me preface that by saying the world we live in, no matter your age, has never had more opportunity, more niches, more ways to engage digitally. So this whole idea of digital nomad, um, no one on our team works more than 40 hours a week. Most people work 30 to 35 hours a week. We've designed it that way, but there's never been so much opportunity. So there's all these millennials out there that have an old map from their parents that perhaps kept jobs for a long time. And then you have all this opportunity, which needs a little structure. So I found that there are a lot of well-to-do people out there. They just need a different influence in their life. And our team right now is, the ages are, is 27 to about 36, and they're all super with it. Um, they're all managed by their deliverables and they're really hungry to, you know, we're in Jacksonville, Florida, our creative directors in Ocala, Florida, it's beautiful rolling hills. So uh, they all like going and renting an Airbnb and our creative director is an artist in Ocala. So she has art all around town. So we'll design this experience, which is like, hey, we're going to work in the coffee shop on Friday. And then Friday night, we're going to this like annual art show. And then Saturday, we're going to, you know, go zip gliding in this little canyon quarry thing. So you know, millennials have this like dream, but there are actually a lot of them out there. And there's companies like mine that have just made this like work-life balance, this uh, concept of being a digital nomad, a really attainable thing. So it's out there. And that's kind of what I'm trying to foster in the culture because the people that come to create studios and sign on with us, I've, I, I had a, a, a young lady, probably 26, just almost beg for the position. She was pretty qualified. She was one of the three candidates, but she get the Sunday scaries on like Saturday. And uh, she's like, I can't believe a culture like this exists. So I think that we just need kind of new models of map and work. And when we can inspire people and getting them doing, you know, work they actually kind of like, and then wrapping it around like a larger sense of fun and purpose and creativity, hence Burning Man experiences or festivals or art, it just becomes a beautiful work-life harmony or work-life balance. And that's really what I built for myself. And I find that the younger generation is so hungry for it. So a lot of the scripts that, that we're born with of get a college degree, get married, have kids, build a white picket fence, settle down, get a mortgage. Those are all scripts and perhaps they serve some purpose or some people really like those. But a lot of that programming, we just need to chuck it off because you've never been able to travel more easily, work from anywhere more easily. Like there's so much opportunity out there. It just needs a little structure around it, right? That's, um, I mean... That is 100% true. I'm, I'm living proof of that. I mean, I live in Airbnbs all over the US, all over the world. Um, I travel, I work, and I, like, you can do that. It's the script. I mean, I feel like our generation, right? We're the ones, we were the forward thinkers, right? We saw that and we started to escape. But a lot of people in our generation, we're in our 40s, um, or I'm in my 40s. I won't speak for Jeff. Jeff might not be in his 40s. 
Just 44. Don't tell anyone that. Yeah. It's cool. Um, Age is good. I mean, I was raised the same way. Go to college, get a good job. And so, I mean, I started my first company when I was in college because I, I couldn't get a job waiting tables anymore. They gave my job away when I did semester overseas. Um, and then I started making money right away. Like I was like, oh, this is so much better. And I think that's the thing, like nobody doesn't want to work. We all want to work because that's where we find our purpose. We would just want to have a job that is purposeful, that we enjoy doing. And there, you know what, for your agency, you have creative people that are out there doing that. For my job, I have people that I work with either consulting them on growth in their business, or I'm helping them build a presentation or a live event. Like I really enjoy what I do. So it's not that the 40 or 50 hours I spend at work flies by. And I'm thinking about it when I'm not at work, which gives me a chance to grow creatively. Um, I love travel. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing to help these people get out of the nine to five, maybe not take a college, a job after college. How, do, how are you helping people with that conversation? Like if their mom is like, you have to get a job or they're worried about X, Y, Z. How do you help them with that? Yeah, so I like the, at the age of 30 and under. And, you know, before you're 30, it's unlikely, like in my case, you've popped out a bunch of children to have this giant mortgage or this monthly nut to maintain, which you and I both have now. So at that time, I feel like you can fail for it. I feel like in today's day and age, like if I were to do it all over, I could show up broken, destitute with half a brain at 30 and scrape together some kind of job in downtown Jacksonville. So then the challenge is if your overhead's low, if you don't have this giant house and you know, mouths to feed and like car payments and all this craziness that can add up over time, um, that you don't need that much money. So you could literally work a job 20 hours a week. You could go in the service industry, right? Where you're a waiter, you're a bartender. You could uh, go to your parents, friends, little business where they need seasonal help. And that would give you time to do your hustle um, maybe you want to be a content creator on like TikTok, YouTube, whatever. Maybe a lot, as, as we're doing, a lot of people want to do the digital marketing thing. So a side hustle is always a good thing. And not only that, it's nice to have a little anchor of 20 hours a week, even if the pay is not the best, that you know it's going to come and you show up when you're supposed to. And that leaves this whole other playing field. So uh, that's one thing I would say. Uh, secondly, um, colleges, like the people that I'm hiring now are actually getting digital marketing degrees, right? So you can actually specialize right now and kind of cue yourself up for a good experience and you could end up in an agency like mine. Or I'll just give you another example. We're going to launch a co-work space here in Jacksonville within the next year or two. The pandemic's kind of shifted some things around, but I'm going to have to have millennials working and running this co-work space. And at night, we're going to do like art and live music and like business and entrepreneurship events. So imagine like that was some 24, 27 year olds job. So there's a lot of ways to find out where those people are, to go with conferences, to maybe keep, keep some kind of income base. And at some point it's going to pop. The co-work space we're going to do is going to have success. And most likely we will have someone running that full time that's going to be in that environment every day. So I figure like those are kind of the routes these days versus, hey, I got my you know, political science degree or my psychology degree, and I've been applying on LinkedIn and no one's responding, right? Let's stop thinking like that. I want to, I want to go back to your first point. Cause I'm, I, I have this discussion. Sometimes I had this discussion last week with a, a lady that came to me and she was like, I really want to leave my nine to five. Um, she works as a mortgage broker, but she's, she's making low six figures every year and she get, has insurance and she has a 401k. And she's like, I really, really want to do 
want to do like my business. She has, she has a good plan, but she's scared to step out and do it. And she's like, even if I, even if I did well with it, I'm never going to be able to replace my income. I'm never going to be able to pay for insurance. I'm never going to be able to pay for all of this life. Right. And my conversation with her was to break her out of that way of thinking. Um, I'd be interested to hear how you would, cause you're, you're saying like, go get a job that's 20 hours a week that meets your bills. How do you stop from becoming addicted to that? And how do you have yeah. the fire? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's why starting younger is a little easier. I mean, in point, like I love medicine, perhaps I could get a medical degree right now at 44, but it's at some point in life, things become a big ass. So it's just all hogwash, man. Um, we don't know what we don't know. So check it out because of the healthcare marketplace. Like I have full awesome healthcare coverage for like $400 a month, which is frankly what I was paying when I was married. My ex was a teacher. She started teaching and it was the same. So health insurance is that, uh, believe it or not, there's this $150 like emergency healthcare, right? So if you like get in a car crash or say, you, you know, got some growing inside and you got to be in the hospital for five days. So like healthcare is immediately solvable for like 150, 200, $400 if, if you're older in age. So I just think these, these are all farce. And then two, if, just say you couldn't make 120 and you could only make 90. Well, how does your day-to-day -day feel when you wake up? How do you feel when Sunday comes along? You know, you're going to grind through mortgage applications, kingdom come. Like I would rather re-engineer my life, you know, come in at 90,000 and actually really feel good about what I'm getting into every day. Feel good about not having, you know, you know, 32 mortgage applications like haunting me when I wake up. So yeah. I, I don't know if that answers it or not, but like the assumptions just aren't true, right? I mean, I, I just saw the healthcare one. There truly are. I just I just went through this. I, I got in a divorce a couple of years ago and had to get healthcare on my own. And there was an option. It's gap coverage. And it was like a buck 50 a month if I wanted it. So even like that little one, these things that scare the heck out of people, there's always ways around them. Always. I that's that is the key right there. Um I, I, for years, I was going to, my favorite, my favorite question is always, how can I, or how will I? Because if you ask those two questions, you can come up with an answer to any problem. Every problem is solvable, just about like, if you just ask that question and just keep looking at it, you can find a way. I'll, I'll give you a bunch of examples. Small business administration gives loans, $50,000 low interest. Uh, my family at times has loaned me, uh, my parents and aunt, tens of thousands of dollars uh, COVID came, this is a real life 2020 example. At the end of March, our recurring revenue retainers literally got cut in half, not because we were doing a bad job, but because we had a lot of medical and the orthodontist wasn't open and the doctors weren't seeing patients and even the web projects that were in progress got stopped. But guess what? We made it okay. We ended up getting the government loans and not needing them. Um, I, it, it, and well, still to this day, I had access to a lot of credit I hadn't used. So let's just say this lady leaves the mortgage thing and has the worst year of her life. Well, what's the worst thing she did? She ran up $30,000 credit debt and she like owes a family member $15,000, but by golly gee, she tried because in a year she's going to be qualified to do mortgages again. So I don't know, just, just take it as a temporary thing. Like, you know, worst case scenario in COVID, like I'm going to bleed cash for three months. I'm going to have to reduce staff, which I don't want to do, but we're not going to go from 130 customers to like zero, right? So a lot of times in, 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 in the COVID pandemic really did scare the crap out of me. Uh, the revenue forecast for April was like 52% of what we needed. We never had a forecast like that. Maybe a bad month was like 85, 90%, a good month, we're at 120% of the dollar we needed. So 
But even then I had to get checked because it, it wasn't true. It, it didn't turn out to be that bad. So if someone could just wrap their head around, I'm going to take this year. And if I totally fall, I'm going to have some debt racked up. Maybe I didn't have the highest form of healthcare coverage, but you know what? I can go crawling back to another mortgage company at the end of that year. And uh, at least I tried, but you know, what's going to happen. Even in that idea, they didn't have workout. So they want to go bake pies or something. I bet something else will open up. I bet the, a friend will have like, Oh my God, my business is blowing up selling masks. You know, you know, a little marketing, you want to do my, my mask online marketing for four months. You're like, Oh my God, that's just the break I needed. Those breaks have happened all the time. in in my, career, but the, I'm not going to deny how scary it gets though. But doesn't life get scary anyway? Have we ever life had a health scare or a loved one get died? Like, so dude, fear's part of the equation. So let's not let entrepreneurial fear be this like insurmountable Himalaya because it's not. I, I agree hundred percent. You're going to be scared. You're going to feel anxiety regardless of what you are doing. So at least feel it for <laughs> getting a result that you want. So I actually, I want to ask a question. And I might be putting my foot in my mouth a little bit, but when you had that month in April where you were looking at cash flow was 50% of what you needed, my bet is that it forced you to get really creative and something really cool came out of it. You're precisely right. So we do two things. We do websites, which are one-time builds, and we do online marketing, which is the recurring paid ads, whatever. But we have this thing called website support. So website support is all these websites we've hosted and done, like update this banner, do this and that. Well, guess what happened to every freaking, you know, passively hosted website account we had? They needed to put banner updates on their site. So in April, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think we did 114% of what we needed. Now we're overall down year over year, but in profits down, but we are profitable. So this isn't some like, hey, we crush it story. But that month we had the biggest month of website support Website support happens to be like lawyers. If we touch the keyboard, we get to bill at least 20 minutes. So believe it or not, in April and May, we had a crap ton of support, putting up these COVID banners, doing urgent updates, all the medical facilities did. So sure enough, we got to May and I had to check myself because I scared the heck out of my team. You know, there's about 10 of us and I was kind of looking at them, the eyeballs and I was like, this is just abysmal. I, I don't know how many months we can keep everybody together and keep it up, but sure enough, that support service came up. Support for us is super profitable. So that's how we got through the first six weeks. And then as we all know, I mean, some businesses have been flattened and I don't want to take that away. But for a lot of us, the, the businesses kind of like everything started moving again in some way, shape or form. So it wasn't like, you know, we we're making a dollar and then making zero. So in this case, it was, we're making a dollar. Oh my God, everything's paused. And then, you know, I kind of like came back to some degree. So yeah, that's what happened there. Support, uh, billable hours just turned on like fire. And then here's another dumb thing that happened. So we have this epic month of support billings, right? Super profitable. So I'm here as the leader at the end of that month. And I'm like, all right, next month, the support targets this. And I set this absurdly high number, but guess what? All the support went down and believe it or not, people started freaking out less and they signed on the projects they weren't going to sign on. So that's how that little super scary season went down in March, April, and May. I finally, by late May, June was, was calmed down, but yeah, it was scary. I'm not going to lie. Very scary. That's, I mean, you're going to have fear regardless of what you are doing. And that's, it, it causes us like entrepreneurs. One thing I love, like the Michael Jordan story, if you guys haven't seen it, I know I've talked about it before uh, the last dance it's on Netflix. I'm not a huge sports fan, but what I loved about that story was Michael Jordan forced himself to put his back against the wall over and over and over again, because he wanted the ball. When there was one second left, he wanted the ball. I think entrepreneurs, especially successful ones, we secretly love solving problems. We love having the stress and the pain. Like 
we wouldn't wish ourselves to put our to be in that situation, right? But at the same time, we kind of thrive in it. Like everyone else puts their head in the sand. We're like, pass me the ball. Like it's mine. I got this. So we can figure it out. Agreed. And Steve, this theme has come up throughout the call, which is, and this is psychologically true. We learn things under pain and pressure. Generally, I haven't had any major life epiphanies or takeaways when I'm on vacation or when everything's good. Those are times when it's plateaued and I can kind of enjoy the plateau and enjoy the calm weather, but it's not like I'm learning something about myself or about the business. So I think pain is a huge instrument in, in growth and it's going to happen anyway. And then two, it's called work. It's called a job. It's not called vacation. I don't log into vacation Monday morning. I'm at work on a team meeting every Monday at one when we huddle. So yeah, I think, um, Pain is really a teacher. And somehow, just as human beings, and this is kind of philosophical, but I'll leave it at this, we we so want all pleasure in life and we don't want pain. So we want sun, 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 but we can't have any dark. Well, guess what? If you didn't have any dark, there wouldn't even be this idea of day. So part of me tries to get a little non-dualistic and just observe things. And what am I observing? COVID is ripping through everybody. There's lots of things happening. So instead of just like going in a hole or just like claiming victory, it's just Let's just take it and work through it and observe and, and watch it change. And, and the answers will come as we're along the path. That, that is, I mean, that's probably the best takeaway out of this entire session right there. Um, Jeff, if people wanted to find you, if they wanted to work with your digital agency, or if they were interested in the mentorship that you're doing with millennials, where can they find them? Where's the best? Yes, yeah, so it's all at one place. My name's Jeff Venn, like the Venn diagram you learned in math class, the concentric circles. So V is in victory, E N N, jeffvenn.com. It's got Create Studios, it's got that Converge co work thing, and a lot of other stuff going on. So Jeff Venn, V E N N.com is where they can go. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on. It has been awesome. I love your energy and I love the takeaways that you have given. To everybody listening, make sure you go check out his website. If you're watching this on YouTube, you saw all the amazing energy he brought. If you're listening to this, go check it out on YouTube. We have the highlights so you can catch those. Until next time, guys, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon. Nothing has the ability to grow your business more than a powerful one-to-many sales presentation. If you're looking to scale your business, get your message out to more people and close more sales in an easy and straightforward manner, head over to deathtobadwebinars.com and grab your free course today. Thanks for tuning into the show and we'll see you next time.